Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 894. That's a big number. Uh, this episode brought to you by Squarespace. If you need a portfolio or if you need a, an online store because you made a thing that I keep telling you to do and you, know, you want to sell that thing. You just want to show people that thing. Uh, or maybe just a blog. You got feels, man. Squarespace gives you everything you need to make uh, your next move into a reality. And also, beautifully designed templates and customizable features. You can create a beautiful website simply, intuitively, uh, just add and arrange your content with the click of a mouse. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code NERDIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Hey, Katie, what's on the Nerdist Community Corkboard? I'm not here right now. Okay, I'll do it then. Uh, EJ Espinoza writes, I used to live in L.A., but recently moved up to Santa Maria. I miss the art community of Los Angeles, so I launched my own small business called Artemunda. Uh, I collaborate with local artists in the Central Coast. We make t-shirts each month, introduce a new artist for uh, each shirt that is sold. A portion of the proceeds goes back to the artist, and another portion goes to local schools to keep their art programs going. What a great idea. I already have about 20 artists I'm working with, ranging from beginners to professionals. Find out more info or buy a shirt from artemunda.com, A-R-T-E-M-U-N-D-A dot com. Uh, Kevin writes, I work with the American Cancer Society. We're launching a whole new way to fight cancer, Curacon. Uh, it's a comic entertainment convention like many others, but unlike the others, the proceeds from Curacon go directly to providing services for people fighting cancer and to fund research that will hopefully lead to a cancer-free tomorrow. It's a convention with games and cosplay and exhibitors and photo shoots, and simply by buying a ticket or becoming a sponsor or vendor, people are helping to support the cause of ending cancer. The first ever Curathon is being held at the Kellogg Arena in Battle Creek, Michigan, November 10th to the 12th. Uh, this year, and we're doing like a silent auction, professional cosplay photo shoots, free limited edition Curacon shirt for all advanced purchase weekend passes. Also, something really cool and novel, a VIP pass called The Layer. It comes with two weekend passes and an actual semi-private booth that you get during the convention for personal use. Tickets and info at curacon.org. C-U-R-E-A-C-O-N.org. Hope this is a big success. We're able to raise a lot of funds to fight cancer. We can turn this into an annual event. Anyone who wants to help but can't make the trip to Michigan is more than welcome to donate as well. There's a button right on the homepage for it. Wow. You guys, I am proud of you making things to benefit other people. Uh, nicely done. Very, very, very nicely done. Uh, you can submit your events to events at Nerdist.com and uh, we'll pour through them. Katie will uh, slap them on here and, and, read, and read them. I think she reads them better than I do. I like it when she does it. Uh, see, now, now these folks have made such amazing stuff, and I was just going to promote. Nah, I got some, 
stand-up dates coming up. I'm, <laughs> I'm such an asshole! Ah, uh, these dates are to benefit no one but me. I am sorry. Uh, but uh, I don't. I need to find. I need to put these dates up somewhere. You know, right now there's a website called Dead Frog with a hyphen in the middle of it, and uh, Dead Frog slash comedians. There's like a tour dates thing in there that I found, <laughs> and that's where my dates are being listed. I really need to get on this internet thing. It's. I just don't think it's gonna last. To be honest, I don't. I don't buy it. Nice try. Nice try. But uh, September 28, 29, and 30, I'll be at Acme Comedy Company in Minneapolis. Uh, October 5th through 7, I will be at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington. Then the American Comedy Company in San Diego, October 19 through 21. Brea Improv, November 3rd, 4th. And then uh, November 8th through the 10th, I'll be at the New York Comedy Festival at Caroline's. So, yeah, there's tickets for all that stuff on there somewhere. And now I'm just doing a Norm MacDonald impersonation. I miss that guy. I wish he'd come back on my show. All right. Um, this episode is Nick Swardson. My dear, dear, dear friend Nick Swardson, who, uh, whom I adore. I love that guy so much. He's currently promoting season two of Typical Rick, which is on cc.com. Uh, it's a network called Comedy Central that sounds vaguely familiar. And, uh, yeah, I love him. I don't know what to say. I love Nick Swartzen. I fucking love him. And he's hilarious on the podcast. He's hilarious. If you, if you get a chance, you should see him live. Uh, I adore this man. This episode also brought to you by Casper. Casper Mattresses. They are outrageously comfortable. They are on a million podcasts. I'm sure you've heard about them, but it does live up to the hype. Real customers have said that Casper is like sleeping on brioche. How many times have you been stuffing brioche in your mouth and you've said to yourself, why am I not sleeping on this? And then I can just chew on it while I'm sleeping on it. Uh, or, or how about this? They, they, someone else said it was like the tinkling of baby laughter in the moonlight. That's a pretty solid review. Baby laughter is pretty comfortable, y'all. So if you had to compare sleeping on the Casper mattress to anything, what would it be? It's really easy. You order online. It's delivered right to your door in a compact. How the hell do they fit that in that size box? It's available in the U.S., Canada, and now in the U.K. Shipping and returns are free. That's right. You're going to try it 100 nights. And if you're not satisfied, then just send it back. Get 50 bucks towards any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com slash Nerdist. Use the offer code Nerdist. Terms and conditions apply. And now here's the Nerdist Podcast number 894, ever closer, inching to 900. And uh, now Katie Levine is going to start the thing. Nick Swardson, start the thing. Play the song. All right. Now entering Nerdist.com. Sorry, I'm just smearing peanut butter onto this banana. No, that's one of my new, like, snacks. I'm on a diet right now. I'm, I have a trainer and, like, trying to cut weight and shit. How do, how do you feel? I feel great. Good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, but banana, peanut butter is, like, one of the things where it's like, if you're desperate for a snack and you got and you need to, like, be on the go. You got a little protein in there. You got some potassium. You <laughs> yeah. just all the shit to keep that, you know, your body is an engine and you got to fuel it <laughs> properly. This is, by the way, this is... Uh, not a commercial at all because I don't get anything from people with Big Spoon. Big Spoon's fucking great peanut butter. Oh! oh. I'm just kidding. How long have you been training? 
Um, I don't know for like the past like two months. Nice. I start a movie in a week. I can talk about that on the air. Well, let, we've let's start, we've started. Let's start. Oh, you did. That was it. Oh, okay. We're already recording. Boom. Hi, America. What if you're like? Hi, world. What if you're like? Fuck! I don't want to fucking be here. This is the worst. <laughs> I hate all this. Yeah. Anyway, I'm working on a movie. It's really great. God, I hope nobody finds out I'm here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So what's up, Chris? Yeah, no, I'm... great. So start it now or before? So the... now we roll. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Get a lot of pussy out there. Eating puss twenty four seven. You did one of my favorite things on that midnight the other day that I still I've been laughing about. It hits me in my car, but I don't remember we were riffing. It was like someone was jerking off, so they pulled their dick off. Oh yeah, and I threw it. <laughs> but it was just the. Fuck! And then throw, <laughs> just throwing, throwing the it. Penis. He just was so. <laughs> I was in the moment. I was. I had. I had channeled what somebody would do if they had jerked their penis off, <laughs> and that it would be so horrifying that now it was just frustration that transcended any kind of horror, and it was just like <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> oh, this too. Like, it was just like yeah. that was just the last straw. <laughs> like the pulling out the dick was the last straw in a long day. I got a parking ticket. <laughs> yeah, it's or this too or not again. <laughs> so it was like penis number two that they had like miraculously crafted onto another body around his body, and so he was. Just they like, found a matching dick donor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had found a matching penis with the exact same circumference and can everything. That, can that happen? Are there can, when you're if you're donating organs, can you donate a dick? Like, can you? Wouldn't the penis be dead? Could you bring it back to life? I mean, with, as, with shock you know, can value, you or harvest shock? it the same way that you harvest in a similar way that you harvest an organ, or is it a specific type of tissue that's like, nope. It, once it's out, it's down. I don't know. That's a valid question, though. Is Dick it, donors? Can you harvest it like you harv- harvest corn? That's another question. <laughs> can you plant it and then grow stalks of cocks? Yeah, I think you could, actually. I think, mm. that's, I think that's exactly how that works. These are valid questions. And these are questions... Uh, this, so this is the premise of the film that you're working on, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dick donors. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm, I was just telling Chris I'm, I'm starting a, a, a film next week. We shoot in Canada, Vancouver, and it's a rated R kind of buddy comedy. And it's myself, Josh Demel, Dax, Shepard, Olivia Munn, Kevin Dillon, um, uh, D- Dave Backetall, and, uh, and Chris Hardwick because he's free now. And Chris Hardweek. Are you free? Fuck. Well, after At Midnight. Yeah, after At Midnight's done, I got fucking time to... Oh, shit. You know, Talking Dead is only on Sundays. Other stuff, you know, stand-up is on the weekends. Yeah. Are you on the road at the moment? I am after we film. We wrap, like, around Labor Day. And then I go on the road pretty hardcore until the uh, the end of the year. And then I do a new Netflix special. Where do you workshop material? I do clubs on the road. So, like, normally on tours, I'll do theaters and shit. But then to work out, like, I I do clubs and I kind of do anything. Like, I'll do clubs I started at. I'll do little clubs. I'll just do stuff to kind of fuck around. Where did you start? I started in Minnesota at the Acme Comedy Company. One of the best comedy clubs in the country. Yeah, it's a phenomenal club in Minneapolis. And uh, I started there. And then uh, I opened mic to 1996. And then it kind of just went from there. They made me the house MC at another club there after like a couple months. And then I just like really focused and then did the Aspen Comedy Festival. I got picked for that six months later. 
Why is Minneapolis such a good comedy city? Because it's so cold most of the year that people just like to go indoors and watch things. I can't. It's such a great. It re, there's like a really great artistic community in Minneapolis. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's kind of a combination of a lot of things. I think you know weather, and also I don't know if it's like, you know, it's really Scandinavian there, and I, I think I, I'm Swedish, and I I don't know. I think they have a good sense of humor. They have kind of a funny sense of humor that's kind of bizarre. So I don't know if that attributes to it, but um, yeah, I don't know the perspective. I mean, it's a great artistic scene in terms of, I mean, theater and everything. Like, I don't know. It's really, it's really, really cool. I remember when I first saw you. I think probably Largo in like ninety. It was in the nineties, and I was like, oh, this you were you were this like wonder kid. He's <laughs> he's like twenty three or so. Like you were really young, really young. But but also like. S- Way funnier than most people. <laughs> oh, thanks. So man. where, uh, like, wh- it, it's happened really fast. So long story short, when I was sixteen, I was in high school. I was a big drug addict, drug dealer. A lot of my friends were in gangs, disaster. Um, you know, a lot of my friends were just train wrecks and drug dudes, and and so I got arrested in school during school. Me and my friends were smoking blunts, and then the cops came and arrested us, and we. Uh, had to, you know, we got arrested, obviously, and handcuffed, and then I talked my way out of getting expelled, and I had to go to court-ordered rehab, and then I had to kind of clean up my act, and then uh, I, I turned to theater to get an easy grade because my grades were really bad, so that kind of started everything. I did theater, and I started doing comedy and improv within that theater company. Comedy Sports came to our school and recruited me and Colton Dunn, who's now on. Yeah. Uh, superstore. He was my best friend in high school. So me and him started improv together, and then we just completely... So comedy took the place of drugs for me, where I'm like so obsessive-compulsive. So where I was so full into doing drugs, I was done with that, and then it became so immersed in comedy and became such a psychotic student of comedy. So I did improv, and then I started stand-up right out of high school. That's so... I mean, hearing that people that you don't know know each other it was like i mean I, I assumed you knew colton but i had no idea like oh okay well there was something at that time in that group that you know there was obviously something magical about that because he's like you your guys's careers both in, you know and it's not like you do stuff together yeah but it's just crazy that you guys were friends in high school <laughs> so like literally best friends and you both have these amazing careers now yeah it's so random this school in saint paul minnesota and you know, yeah, it's really bizarre. I mean, it was cool when I worked on Pretend Time. I had this sketch on Comedy Central for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, it was cool to, like, hire Colton. And he did sketches and was a writer on it. So it was, like, a, fu- a cool moment when, you know, this guy, you've been creating stuff. You know, we would make videos in high school. We both performed for our senior graduation on stage and did, like, a whole skit. So, you know, it's cool in, those, in that respect to, like, come full circle. And both of us are in Hollywood. What, you know? did, did you, was, did, was Gay Robot a whole show or was it just a sketch on Pretend Time? No, Gay Robot started as a sketch on Adam Sandler's fifth album. So he, I was in his office, and he was like, hey, I'm doing another comedy album. We're doing sketches if you have any ideas or any voices or anything you can think of. And I used to do this voice around the office where I would go like, hey, guys, what's up? And I, people always laughed at it, and I'm like, what does that sound like? I'm like, well, it sounds like a gay robot. <laughs> and this was like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And then Sandler was like, you should think about that as a TV show. So we did a live-action pilot for Comedy Central. They shot that, and then they tested it, and they were like, the test audience says it's too gay, and it freaked them out. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> yeah, Comedy Central, everybody. Comedy Central. What do you guys think about the show? Oh, uh, it's a little too gay yeah. for what I'm comfortable with. This was my favorite part is they told me this. They go, well, we tested it in a room of your demographic. So guys in their like late 20s at the time, late 20s. Um, you know, in a room there was like twenty of them, and they watched it, and they all, were, you know, they were like were like, yeah, this is gay and weird. I'm like, if you put a fucking room of twenty twenty five year olds, and you ask them if a gay show if they like it, they're gonna be like, what? Not? I don't fucking like it. No, what do you mean? Do I like it? Do I like it? No, it's weird. I'm like, you fucking idiots. Like, you, the show's called Gay Robot. Fucking assholes. And so they fucking canceled it. And then we put it on MySpace, and everybody loved the show. And they're like, this is amazing. And I'm like, well, it's dead. Well, <laughs> So, great. Well, maybe, I mean, but, but the idea of, like, you know, the way, that, the way that networks can focus group shows, like, okay, they just got, like, a random sampling of people in a mall, and, like, what do you think of that? And they're asking them to be critical. Then, you know, everyone who normally was, like, scratching their buttholes and, like, you know, like, yeah. lining up Funyuns on the end of their dick for entertainment... Goes in and they're like, "Oh, now I am in a posi- a power position." So exactly. then they just start over criticizing. Like, like it's not an accurate way, not at all, to measure what people are going to watch. And I it's don't essentially think. leading the witness. It's essentially going, "Okay, but yeah, but I mean, I've been in a million focus groups with movies and stuff that we made, and fucking, it's the same thing. Where they're like, "Oh, what you think of the you know this character?" And like, "Oh yeah, Hans who liked it." Okay, what you hate about him? And then nobody would say anything. And they'd be like, you must have hated something. I mean, like, what annoyed you? And then they would just, like, lead these people. And they're like, all right, well, I got to say something. Yeah, his fucking face sucked, I guess. And right. it was just like, okay, his face sucks. It was just like, oh, my God. Like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> so we did Gay Robot then animated. And we shot and made that. And it came out really good. And then they canceled that. And they didn't want to do it. And then we, I got pretend time. Because they felt bad about canceling a million things on me. So they gave me that show. And then I just put Gay Robot on that. I was like, I'll just keep them alive. Because we had the robot still built from Stan Winston Studios. It's like quarter million dollar robot that was made for something else. That we just redressed as Gay Robot. And <laughs> so, you know, it lived in these sketches. And then people still to this day keep trying to like get me to reincarnate it but I, I i've done every outside of claymation or i don't know i don't know what the fuck gaymation, to do with the gaymation thing. gaymation gaymation well now it's done the nerdist presents gaymation gay robot how did you when did you first uh hook up with sandler um when i first really hooked up with him was when he brought me into his hotel room no yeah that was um it. No, he was a fan of my stand-up. So he saw my first Comedy Central special. He was in bed with his wife, and they were just channel surfing. And this is, what, 12, 13 years ago? And he was just came across my first Comedy Central Presents and then wrote my name down and came into the office and was like, has anybody heard of this kid? And all the young guys were like, oh, it's Nick Swartz, and he's on Comedy Central. And he's like, I want to meet him. And so I came into his office. My manager called me, and you know, it was a surreal phone call. And he was like... I really like your comedy. I heard that you're a writer. We have this movie called Grandma's Boy. It's a broad PG-13 romantic comedy, but we want to make it hard R. So if you want to, <laughs> if you want to do a pass at it... <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. We want to make it hard R. <laughs> yeah, literally. And so he's like, would you have any interest? He's like, you can write yourself into the movie, whatever you want to do, you know, whatever you want. 
And so I was like, yeah, you know, and I used to do jokes about my grandma and that's what kind of gravitated him towards that, that idea. And so, you know, I, the rest is history. I rewrote it and he, they loved it. Alan Covert, the lead and Sandler. And then ever since then, he's just, I've been working with him ever since. He's like one of my best friends. And so I went on to doing that movie and other movies and then his movies, Producing, EPing, co-starring with them, and stuff like that. I remember your. I remember a lot of the jokes back around, but something about uh, like you could be a superhero to like your grandma, or like Nicholas. You're so strong. Oh yeah, lifting a gallon of milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a true story. My favorite was my two grandmas at the time. They both passed on from crystal meth. Yeah, and well, um, you know, really affecting the elderly community. <laughs> no, they uh, they both both my grandmas fought over who the joke was about. So oh, that's were, really they were, sweet. They were all like, it's about me. And then they would pull knives. And, <laughs> and then they murdered each other. Yeah, yeah. And that's sh- how they, they died. They yeah. shipped each other. They're mad. <laughs> but did you – I didn't know the part about uh, being a drug dealer in high school because I, I – you all didn't you also have a joke about like when you quit doing – Pot. Smoking you, weed, yeah. Yeah, you quit, you quit smoking weed that you, it's, you, you, know, you, you feel like a genius because like, you remember stuff. Your memory comes back. Yeah, everybody thinks I'm this hardcore stoner because of Grandma's Boy and everything. But I don't smoke weed at all. I mean, I don't – the last time I smoked weed, seriously, <laughs> this is actually a pretty good story, um, was with Brian Posehn, of course. <laughs> and this is – I'm going to say 18 years ago, possibly. Oh, wow. And it was at a party in the hills, in the valley, maybe Dave Rouse house. And Brian was smoking a joint with Doug Benson, of course. It's two people that are completely guilty. It's of weird to that. go off brand like that, but uh, <laughs> all right. Let me just brace for this <laughs> this intel. <laughs> Brian was a Doug Benson. So, um, so they're smoking a joint. I'm like, you know what? I had a little buzz from drinking. I'm like, fuck it, man. I'm going to come back to weed. So I go, can I get a hit? And Brian's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I take the joint, and I crush, like, ten deep hits. Oh, this is having, not having smoked weed for, like, a while. And I crush, like, ten big hits, and then everybody was kind of like, whoa, because they know I didn't smoke weed. And then, then I grabbed a bottle of Captain Morgan's rum and just started drinking it. Jesus Christ. And then <laughs> I go, and I start to kind of lose it a little bit, and I see Jackie Cation, and I go, can I get your car keys? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, what's up? I go, I just need to go to the store. She goes, okay. She gives me her car oh, keys. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. And then so I take her car, and I'm walking to my car, and I walk into Margaret Cho. And um, this was when Margaret was drinking a lot. And so we're both drunk. And I, I go, hey, Margaret. And she goes, hey, Nick, where are you going? I go, I'm going to the store. And she goes, are you okay? And I go, no. <laughs> and, then I, and then she just let me go. <laughs> And then I just walked. And then I got into Jackie's car, and I'm driving through a neighborhood, which I didn't know. I lived in New York at the time. And I was started to get so fucking high. And this is – I'm not embellishing this at all. I started to think that I was in a dollhouse world. And all the homes were dollhouses. And I started to have a panic attack, and I decided to find a hospital. And then I I couldn't maintain. I started to freak out. So I rolled down the window and started driving with my head out of the window. You know, to to keep keep me yeah, keep you alert. To keep me alert and awake and to not freak out. So then I'm just driving around, and then I fucking I just cut to, and I just wake up in a random hotel. I just got in a room. I don't remember like how I got into the room. How did Jackie get her car back? I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. And she called me the next day like, "What the fuck." 
Now, and kids, I, we're laughing about this, but don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do this. is a We laugh now. He's but... lo- yeah, he's, you're very lucky. It's a look you didn't murder anyone. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, I wasn't as drunk as I was high. You know what I mean? So I think if, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was dangerous, whatever the fuck I was doing. But I, I think I quickly pulled over and found like a shitty hotel. So I think I realized that if I went any further, because I was just in like some residential. But yeah, it was do not fucking drink and drive or be fucked up and drive. That's so crazy. I mean, what do you, do you go get breakfast at that point? Or you're like, all right, well, you know, you just. I was glad I was just not high anymore. <laughs> I slept like really hard. I was just kind of like, oh, I made it. You know, it's just one of those things when you think back to like all the stuff you do. You know, I'm 40 years old now and I think back to the fucking insanity I went through and I'm just like. Oh my god, I'm just glad I made it through all that shit. How did that happen? Yeah, so it was just chalked it up to one of those like, oh my god, all right, back to one. Do you ever think about, I mean, because I don't, you know, your stand-up, you have, you, you just, you express things in such a, I mean, like, there are people who can write funny, and then there are people who are just naturally, like, any, just the natural way that you present a story is hilarious. Do you ever talk about, like, really heavy stuff on stage? I mean, I never really got into – I've dabbled with certain material I've written. I mean, I, I wrote some stuff about my dad dying and stuff like that that I thought was pretty funny. Like I did a bit about I – had, I had written a bit about how – or thought of a bit about my – my dad died and he was 69 years old. And I'm so immature that I didn't want to say he was 69. <laughs> so I got – I just told people he was 68. <laughs> so they Because I didn't want to have to go like, he's 69. Like yeah. that's how immature and dumb I am. And so, and I had like more material about that. And then I just, I just was like, oh, nobody wants to hear about fucking death, like in any capacity. So I just kind of bailed on stuff that was like, got too, and it was always funny. I never got heavy handed or like weird, dark or anything, but I just, you know, I was always of the, of the, the school of like, when people come to a show, they want to laugh and escape and not think right. about the horrors of things. No, yeah, and it's, I, that, I, because I did a lot of jokes about my dad dying in my last special, but there, but it was interesting to test the line to see like, oh, people are okay with this, but then this other thing is just what, like, I could never make, I, my stepmother had an open casket, which uh-huh. I just think is such a weird thing because you it's just like the most you like you take a family reunion and then it's like infinitely more awkward because there's right. a person lying in the corner with just a coffin open just you know and i had a little nephew who was probably like four or five at the time and just like dexter style he just kept like propping himself up on the coffin and just like poking my dad <laughs> and part of me was like i don't know if i'm okay with this but i was like well you know he's curious and right. you know it was such a surreal so i was trying to i thought that was so weird and more morbidly funny but i would every time i just even mentioned the word like wake or like mentioned that he was in the corner that like people just checked out like there was no yeah. there was like a ah, oh, or they just you, i could just you could just you know you can sometimes you just feel the air like just go out of the yeah like, totally that was the line they just were not i think it just needed either a more skilled you know louis probably could have gotten away with it uh but yeah i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean uh, there was another bit that i would do um, and I'm doing a new special with Netflix, and I might put this on it because I really love the bit, but it never destroys at all. <laughs> but it's essentially about how when you when you when you're 80 years old or above, you can die at any second, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a horrifying thing to go, oh, because it's really hard to plan your next day. 
like to really in concrete make plans. So I was saying, like, if you're a grandfather and your grandson's like, hey, Grandpa, do you want to go to the zoo tomorrow? And you're like, yes, I do want to go to the zoo. Um, Let's plan on that. But there's a chance you'll come to my home and I will be a dead body and you'll be horrified and scarred for the rest of your life. Hopefully we'll go to the zoo. But that is what I hope happens. I'm just saying there is a chance that you will find a lifeless corpse of me you know and i just the zoo's great going. but the zoo's great and yeah like, the zoo would be phenomenal and the monkeys and tigers it's like i guess when you get to a certain age like every day on your calendar just you have to pencil it in you're like, <laughs> yeah. let's pencil this one in but i think yeah. you should do jokes like that because i think you know i think sometimes you sort of get the idea like oh but everyone should be laughing but even but i still think there are ones where even if just a smaller group of people are laughing extra hard, totally, hundred percent. Those a lot of times will can. Those are sometimes the bits where someone go, "Oh man, I saw you do this bit this one time, and I fucking loved it." And you go, "I hate that bit. Never worked." Yeah, you, totally, a hundred percent. That's why I said that I might do it, and not that I I need every bit to destroy. I didn't mean it like that, but it was like, you know, when stuff just it. <laughs> It didn't really have an ending, so maybe I just am lazy and I didn't really write a, like a kind of an end thought to it. But um, yeah, I do. I mean, I've said random shit over the years that people have come up to me, like you said, and been like, "Dude, that one bit." I'm like, I, "What?" <laughs> Especially like Largo, Largo in Los Angeles. Like Chris and I kind of came up in that at, at that place that used to be on Fairfax, and it was such a, a, a haven for material that didn't work. I mean, I would always do stuff that was so rogue and bizarre and people still to this day would always bring up those bits that I love that were just kind of really like non sequiturs and strange like stuff that was in the news or something like and yeah that's what, that was one thing about Largo that I always loved well yeah cuz that that scene was born out of the I mean for lack of a better term, the alternative comedy movement, but it was basically like anti-comedy club. So it was sort of this punk. It was. It, I think it started. It started as a sort of punk comedy movement of of comedians going like, "Hey, you don't want us in your clubs. We don't want to fucking be in your clubs. So we're going to start our own thing, and we're just going to read off notebooks and just tell stories." It, it, I think it was a rebellion to like the um, the comedy bubble. And like a million people, and like short attention span theater, like here's nine people doing jokes about the Flintstones, right? You know? And it was like it was a rebellion against like um, you know just sort of mainstream comedy club, you know, comics without substance that were just doing jokey jokes, and so they it was all like you know talk about your day, it's like talk read stuff from your notebook, do a lot of throwaways, do anything that felt too formed. I felt like put that audience off a little bit, but then it evolved. Right. And then it became more structured comedy with just a different bank of references. Yeah, no, definitely it, it started out because um, when I was in, living in New York in the late 90s and I was doing Luna Lounge and that scene took off in the mid 90s with Garofalo and a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that that scene, yeah, came out of, yeah, people not wanting to go, yeah, not wanting to hit the clubs and just be so... I don't even I don't even know how you would describe it, but yeah, I mean the alternative movement was more just not having like smooth segues and not being so polished and so you know bow tie and like all right you know you're you know my wife is like you know if I can has AIDS or whatever nobody, nobody <laughs> you know would that ever say that classic thing. comedy club bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> nobody would say that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's nine comics talking about how their wife. No, but <laughs> but I I really attribute that 
that scene of really defining my comedy in the sense that when I started, you know, I was you're always trying to survive on stage and do do amazing. And then when I moved to New York, I was so high energy and I was so physical, and I was just trying not to get booed off. And I was, you know, the, the East Coast the audiences are a lot less forgiving. I mean, they're you know their patience like they can if they don't like something, you'll fucking know it. So I was always really, you know, really high energy and really trying to, you know, do my best, which is always good to do. But, you know, when I started doing the alternative scenes, I could do the weirdest shit and I could do the stuff that was really off and I could bring my energy way down. I could I learned to just kind of talk and not be so anxious and not be so loud and, you know, crazy. So it really, really helped me a lot. And then when I moved to L.A. and, you know, Luna Park and Largo and those scenes were really great. I always did comedy clubs and continue to do them, but it, it just helped the writing process and uh, just helped you open up your brain a little bit, open up your mind. So you, so you're able to, you're sort of able to use the the, the scenes in L.A. as like, oh, I'll just try stuff out here, and then if it kind of works, I'll take. I, I I always found a difficulty with stuff that worked really well at Largo. D- a lot of times, did not work really well on the road, and I, I had you know, I was like, oh, I kind of got to write different jokes for the road than stuff that I was doing. You yeah, know. I mean, most of what I do at Largo, I'll do on on stage. I mean, I'll do, I'll do it at the Improv, I'll do it at the Laugh Factory. I mean, you know, there there isn't stuff that's so. I mean, like, but like I said, like my bit about dying and about you know, like that's a bit that would that would do really well at Largo. Like right. that would kill. You know, but if I did the Improv, like the audience would be like, ah. Uh, you know, they wouldn't be as on board. Right. You know what I mean? So in that sense, Largo was always good because you could go weird and dark and they would be with you. Right. You know, because they kind of expect that of, you know, what that that venue has to offer. Well, yeah, it's, it really is about expectations of the audience. And if the audience, like a random sampling of people who come to the improv or the comedy store or whatever – they don't come going, I wonder if I'm going to be challenged tonight. Like, they just, <laughs> they want to just come and laugh at things that they understand pretty quickly and right. not, not anything where it's like, oh, we're going to talk about death now or we're going to talk about, you know. Yeah. I mean, but I also, on the flip side, I would get mad at comics that would look down on me because I would do comedy clubs. So I remember I would, young comedians. Would be like, oh, you do the road? Oh, you do like what, like comedy clubs? And I was like, yeah, I'm a fucking comedian. <laughs> so then I hated what that what that scene spawned of like these fucking hipster, like too cool and like too above certain kinds of comedy. Where it was like, oh, like when I started working with Sandler, like so many people like kind of turned on me, and they're like, oh, like whatever, and just like kind of like shit on me because he was too mainstream. Well, because yeah, he was like, so, I was like, oh, he's so broad and whatever, what the fuck, but. You know, Adam, if you look at his old stand-up, he, and Dave Rath will say this, he was like, David Spade and fucking Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider were, like, alternative before, alternative even existed. Like, he's like, they would go up and do, like, weird shit on stage, and they would tank, and they would do, you know, bits with, like, outside the box, and he's like, it was so funny um, that people would, like, shit on them. And then, you know, so it was, my point being, like, you know, there is that flip side where you can also be... You know, a little small-minded if you get in that bubble of like, oh, you do like, oh, you do the road, and I was like, yes, I do the well, road. Comedians also, do the road. like red, like if it's all just context too, because I think if you saw Sandler doing like the redheaded sweatshirt song and you didn't know who he was, and it was an alternative comedy venue, you'd be like, holy shit, right? That's crazy, you know, like, yeah, but totally. but because it was contextualized in SNL and he was really famous and you knew what it was, that automatically made it mainstream. I mean, that's the thing about hipsterism is that hipsterism 
Rebe- it's hipsterism does not actually like things for their for their actual qualities. It only follows trends. So it's like, oh well, if that's popular. I can't like it. Like, well, right. you don't really like comedy. You just like trends. Yeah. So like stuff because you like it. It doesn't matter if it's famous or not famous. Just like stuff because you like it. And if you like. Sandler, then you like him. If you don't like Sandler for the reasons that you don't like the jokes, then that's fine too. But yeah. don't just make it a broad like these people are in this box and I can't like them because that that I won't look cool if I like that thing. Yeah, no, I mean it's funny, like just it, it, exactly what you're talking about. Where I have people, you know, watch movies that I do with him or watch stuff that I do on my own, and people are like, yeah, I mean. It, <laughs> You know, I I laughed really hard at that movie. I mean, it was so fucking dumb, and I didn't want to laugh at it. But you know, it made me laugh. And I'm like, why don't you just say it made you laugh? What's what? Like, why are you filling in blanks that don't exist? Like, why are you? Who's judging you? It's also really insulting. I think what you do is shitty, but you know, I did laugh at it. Like, why do you have to qualify? It's insane because I snapped. I did an Ivy League school once, and uh, or borderline Ivy. It was like wash you. Which is like a really good school. I don't think it's Ivy League, actually. But I heard it was really good. And so I was doing it. It's in Missouri, St. Louis, I think. Anyway, I'm on stage, and these kids are, you know, really smart, bright kids. And they're watching me, and, and I'm doing okay. This is, you know, about 12 years, 15 years ago. And um, I do this joke, and I go, my cat's sick right now. I go, my cat has diarrhea. And I had to take him to the vet. And the vet's like, well, what have you been feeding him? And I was like, diarrhea. <laughs> and the crowd, dead silence. <laughs> And then some kid rolls his eyes in the front row, and I hear him go, oh, my God, so stupid. And I fucking snapped. And I looked at him, and I go, did you just say it's stupid? I go, I know it's fucking stupid. That's the point of the joke. I go, don't be above the fucking – I know it's dumb. That's why it's funny is it's so stupid. I fucking know that, you fucking idiot. Well, it's also like – And it's one of those things where, like, so much comedy is like – when people are like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? It's just like, yeah, but some people are in on the joke, too. Yeah. Like some people are like... Which is funny because you think the peep, the person that acts like they're above it is actually completely missing the point of it. Totally missing the like, point of it. Yes. We, yeah. Because it, it, it's a very hard thing to explain with comedy. Like, I can't believe this person said that. Well, they were probably saying that from the point of view of a character that they were doing that is the most ridiculous thing that person exactly, could say. Exactly, 100%. Not that that is something that they believe. It's not a le- – you know, like, I don't know why people sometimes take comedy like it's a lecture series. Like, everything that comes out of your mouth is 100% literal. Like, yeah. no, you have to under you context have to look for the nuance and the context and the layers and – understand the theatrics of it it's not you know i think people just get confused because they think one person's talking on stage so it's like a speech no there's a whole narrative like you have to understand what the story is and the meta story and the context totally and the the person who's doing it and what they're you know what they're about like there's so i think comedy sometimes is a little more it's just a little more thought and work than i think you know because i'm sure you've i'm sure you've done a million colleges and sometimes People don't understand that comedy requires a little bit of it's like you you can't just drop a raw steak and go dinner. It's like you have to prepare it. You <laughs> yeah. have to make sure it's prepared properly. With comedy, you need a little bit of, you know, Todd Glass is insane about it. You just gotta like get the tables close, just put the curtains behind there, just put little candles on the you know. Like <laughs> yeah. he's got all the But there are a lot of things that really you can't just stick comedy somewhere and go, okay, comedy. Yeah, no. And I I love doing colleges. I do a lot of colleges and a lot of people hate them. But I have a blast doing them, and it's like, you know, you know, there was that whole thing that came out where comedians, I think Louis, right, and like Seinfeld, were like, "Fuck colleges, fuck, you know, fuck that." 
And, you know, I was like, I fucking love doing colleges. And they're like, well, they don't fucking get shit. And they don't get this and that. And it's like, yeah, but if you think about it, they're, you know, they're, they're new to comedy. They're new to live performances. They're new to live comedy. You know, they're hungry to like, it's good to like, you know, bring them up on certain kinds of comedy and bring, like, have them show them fucking certain shit that's weird and sh- certain stuff that, you know, is out of the box. You know what I mean? Maybe they won't get it at, at the time, but like, the more they think about it, you know, I don't know. I like doing, you know, schools and, you know, maybe, maybe they don't go great, but, you know, it's good to just like have them fucking see shit that's, you know. Well, the, also, too, so, you know, some comics require that you really pay attention to what they're saying. <clears throat> right. And I think some, you know, it's 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 even more than just that these students are new to comedy. They're kind of new to life. New still. to life, 100%. You know, like, because yeah. they are only just barely adults. Yeah. And so it really, you have to live a little bit before you understand the irony behind the darkness in life and why it's okay to laugh at those things. As, For sure. As a defense mechanism or to gain control over, you know... So to get some sense of control over that, and so you, you're basically uh, they they've been in school probably their you know they've been in school their whole lives. They have no all, life experience, and, and all of a sudden, an adult, which they're normally used to seeing, say things that they're required to you know they have to take seriously, is now saying like pussy farts, and they're like what? Like it's I think it's hard for sometimes for them to process 100%, it hundred percent because yeah. it's it's contextually weird for them. And they don't – you get a lot of ooze sometimes because they don't know like, <laughs> yeah. yes, you can laugh at death. You can laugh at tragedy because that's how human beings deal with things. They just haven't – they haven't – sometimes they haven't experienced enough shitty things in No, of course. To- and I – yes, of course. I mean I should have said that before. Yeah, it's not just live comedy. No, they don't. They don't have a lot of life experience, you know. I some mean, do, some really do. But, some do, but, but, but for, for the most part. But by and large, you know, they have to kind of live a little bit to go. Oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, and you have to know your audience. I mean, like a lot of comics that I know that don't like colleges. I mean, you know, they they're married with kids and they talk about that, you know, that perspective. And it's, I mean, that's you know, really hard, you know, for a lot of college kids to be like, what? I mean, even in my new set, I talk about having kids and stuff like that, and you know, they can't like wrap their hearts or uh, their heads around it, but um. You know, what was my point? Um, I can't remember what I was saying. Uh, fuck colleges? No, no, no. <laughs> Okay, no, it's not the answer. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, but also, like, no, I guess no, again, go, coming back to context, like, no, your situation, what, you know, like, with people who hate, I guess, you know, if I bring it back to Adam Sandler, like, all these critics, like, just hate, like, you know, the movies and stuff. And it's like, well, just didn't, don't see them. <laughs> like, that's like the easiest thing when I'm always well, like, that is... why don't, why don't you just not? So it's like, you know, I get like why Louie and Seinfeld are like, yeah, we don't, you know, we hate colleges. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, yeah, then just don't do them. Like, you know, they're just like, we're not going to do them anymore. You know, but it's funny that, you know, people put themselves into situations. Well, we, and yeah, it is a strange, it is, it is kind of funny that uh, everyone just assumes that <laughs> all the responsibility for entertainment is, it's like if I don't like something, it's your fault. We're like, well, no, it's your fault if you don't like something, or it's your issue, and you don't have to like everything. But everything doesn't have to be for you, right? You can just not. It's exactly what you said. Like when people complain about something week after week, I go watch the show, and this happened, or I hate this guy's comedy. Like, was no fucking watch it. Like, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever had to declare that I wasn't going to watch something. I just don't watch stuff <laughs> yeah. that doesn't resonate with me, and that's okay. Not everything is for everyone. But I think everyone expects that everything has to be for them. Like, no, it doesn't. You just don't have to watch no. it. Yeah, and also, like, comedy, and you know this, and this is such a simple statement. It's like, comedy is so 
fucking subjective. <laughs> it's so subjective. So when people like will go like, oh, Nick Swartzen is fucking not funny at all. And it's like, well, no, I am because I've done this for a long time. So if you want to say Nick's, I don't think Nick Swartzen's funny. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But when people like make blanket statements like, yeah, no, this show just this show's not funny at fucking all. It's like, yeah, it is, it is. If people are watching it. It's in season it's four. Other people you know it might I mean? be. It's, like, it's other people might be. That's funny. always funny to me that people. Well, everyone loves to state their opinion as some sort of a universal. No, truth. they love it. I'll never forget. I was watching. I don't even know why, but I stumbled across. Roper at the movies or whatever, uh-huh. and they were they were reviewing Zohan, and uh, <laughs> a movie I was in that I love, I was a part of, and um, <laughs> um, Richard Roper had a guest reviewer on, and Richard Roper's like, um, okay, we're reviewing Zohan, you know, all annoyed, and the other reviewer goes, um, yeah, I saw it. He goes, I really really like this movie. He goes, I thought it was interesting that Sandler made, you know, this kind of co- broad comedy about the Israeli and Israeli-Palestine situation, and he's like, the, the subject matter was really unique for a comedy, you know? He's like, there was a lot of really funny jokes and blah, 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 and Richard Roper just stopped him and he just goes, wait, 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 what are you saying? Wait, are you saying you like this movie? And the guy's like, yeah, I thought it was pretty good, man. I, I laughed, and he was like, all right, let's just stop right there. This is real, he said this. He's like, let's just stop right there. This movie's fucking horrible. He didn't say fuck. But he was like, this movie's horrible. This is ridiculous. And then just totally like shit on the reviewer and then just shit on the movie. And I was like, fuck you, man. <laughs> like this guy can't just like point out the things that he liked. Like real cool, Richard Roper, you like, fucking dork. Why can't- <laughs> fuck you. Like what a fucking asshole. As opposed to him just saying like, oh, okay, well, you can like the movie. I personally didn't like it, but that's my opinion and you have your yeah, opinion. I didn't like it. And here's why I didn't like it. And not like what he like literally cut this guy off well, like a fucking cunt. There's, a- <laughs> there's a- <laughs> fuck Richard Roper. Listen, you have a lot of stuff to process. Sorry about the C. Sorry about the C. Guess what? Not sorry. Guess what? Not sorry. <laughs> well, you know, I think there's also because there are certain websites that review music or comedy, and I feel like they. Uh, and they're considered more alternative, but I, but I sort of, sometimes I feel like, ah, but you guys have a brand that you stick to because you know there are certain things that your audience will not accept for you to like, and so you know that there are easily things when they come out that go, yeah, well that's a piece of shit, and other things, right? That I feel like you that I that I feel like some people or bands get a pass and like you know this was okay, I thought this was okay, but. You know, but then they totally like slobber all over the knob of it, and you're like, because you know, they know their audience expects them to, yeah, totally, even on a subconscious level. And I'm not saying they can't like those things, but sometimes I, I do detect patterns where I'm like, man, I don't know. It sort of feels like you're just maybe staying on brand a little bit. Because if you, you know, if one of these websites was like, oh, actually, I really did like the Zohan, they're just like, what? Yeah, what are you saying, man? People thought we were on the same side, man. You know, like it just. It's I it, it I don't believe anything. <laughs> don't no, believe anything it is insane. Anymore. It's a funny world that like now it's just it's so insane with social media. And it's funny to think that we, you know, we started in a time, I mean, if you can imagine comedy without social media, what? it's so bizarre, you know. Why Music we- is funny because I used to open for David Cross, he's a very good friend and I opened for him for years. And we used to get in music fights all the time. Because I like I like pop music. Like I'll like pop you know, I have like Justin Bieber songs on my phone and stuff. And like David just like would just not <laughs> back in the day be like, What are you fucking kidding me, man? 
<laughs> you like you have a song by Pink? <laughs> and I'd be like, Yeah, I like Pink. Okay, it's funny. Don't don't. Why can't I like what I like? Yeah, but what it was funny. Like it was just somebody that was always get into it. With music. And, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because this is you know something that I always remind you of because it's uh, one of my favorite things. But we were performing at Bumbershoot one year, and a knock was, came on my hotel room door, and then you and David Cross came in completely naked and started jumping up and down on the bed, going, "Yeah, Wee! yay, full nude." So I've seen both your dicks, which was great. Yeah, and uh, but but what really impressed me was the. At some point, walking down the hall, you guys said, well, let's just go in there nude. You took all your clothes off in the hallway, yeah. left your clothes in the hallway, so you still had to go back out in the hallway and get your clothes. Yeah. So can you just give me some of the – do you remember any of the backstory on – I mean, uh, David – you know, I love David so much. I don't see him as much. He's married now and shit. And uh, But, uh, yeah, we had such a blast for years. David was just always – he would always just do shit like that. He'd be like, let's fucking... And I'm, like, game for anything. Like, I'm always... If anything's fucking weird, I'm totally down. And so I remember he was like, let's fucking just run in naked. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right. And it wasn't even, like, a blink of an eye. And, like, I would throw shit at him, too, all the time. And, like, it was so fun. And we would we would do shows, and I'd be like, what are we doing after? And he's like, let's... I, he goes, I know this after party in this attic. And I'm like, all right. And we would <laughs> just do shit like that. And we our our big thing on the road was breaking into hotels, but breaking into hotel pools. So we would find hotels and we'd break into their pool and go swimming at like two in the morning. And I remember one time I think we were in Seattle and we broke into this hotel pool and we went swimming. This old security guard's like, "What comes in after like twenty minutes?" And he's like, "Uh, what are you guys doing, man? The pool's closed." And we're like, "What, really?" And it was like clearly it was the lights were off. It was clearly closed. We're like, sorry about that. And he's like, all right. And he just left. And then we just kept swimming. <laughs> and he came back like 15 minutes later. He goes, hey, uh, I said uh, the pool's closed. And we're like, oh, it's now? It's closed now? And he was like, yeah. And we're like, oh, I thought you meant tomorrow. And he's like, no, no, it's now. And we're like, okay. And he left. And we just kept staying. And he came back. He's like, you guys got to get out of the pool, man. And we're like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. It's so embarrassing. And he's like, it's okay. <laughs> so like we just kept doing shit like that one time david got me to do crystal meth what? which i had never done before holy shit and uh yeah david one time we were in atlanta me and him and mary lynn and uh david was like hey um do you want to do he's like let's get fucked up tonight and i was like all right why well, don't we do drugs and he goes well um do you want to try crystal meth and i'm like well that's a drug <laughs> and one of the most aggressive drugs And i go no i'm not doing crystal meth and he goes, I know, I hear you. He goes, but he goes, here's the deal. You just put a little bit in your drink. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot it or smoke it. But he goes, I have a little bit, and you just put like a little bit in your drink. And I go, all right. Oh, Jesus so <laughs> David puts like a pinch in my drink and puts, uh, puts a pinch in Mary Lynn's. Crystal light. Yeah, crystal light. <laughs> the dark crystal light. <laughs> the dark crystal light. There it is. <laughs> so that's the, that's the movie. So we fucking drink it, and we go out to a bar. And my body goes completely numb. And I'm not enjoying myself at all because I can't feel my body. And then I'm starting to have a panic attack. And then I grab Mary Lynn and I go, are you having fun? And she goes, I can't feel my body. Oh, my God. And I go, this is fucking horrible. I go, I got to get air. So I walk outside. And I, I fucking, I'm totally numb and I'm really freaking out. And I'm trying to drink through it and it's not working. So then Mary Lynn's not having fun either. And so I go to find Cross, who's on the dance floor, like basically fucking going full Saturday Night Fever. Like, just dancing all over the place. I go, David, are you having fun? He's like, yeah! This is fucking great! And I was like, 
my God. I go, me and Mary Lynn are not having fun. We can't feel our bodies. He's like, oh, all right. And then so I think we just grabbed a cab and went back to the hotel. <laughs> but see, that's a, you know, it's probably, it's probably one of the reasons why I was never able to do drugs because I was, if I had that experience, I would have fucking run in front of a train. Like, I right. would have tried to free my spirit from my body <laughs> because I would have had just such your seat. Yeah, I would have had such a panic attack. That I would not have been able to handle it, so I don't. I don't even. You know, I remember. Year, you know, I, now it's been fourteen years since I quit drinking, but but before that, you know, someone tried to get me to do mushrooms or ecstasy or something, and they go, "It feels really good." And they're like, "I mean, there's a minute where you kind of don't know what's happening." I go, "That's one minute too long. Don't want to do it. No thanks." Like that minute would have felt like yeah. hours to me. So how are you even? How are you even? Because now you've explained two things where you had these horrible panic attacks. How did you? How do you push through? How did you push through those? You just ride it out. Oh, it sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, I've not. I'm not a big drug guy at all, but I've you know I've dabbled and. Like, it's always – there's nothing worse than doing that and that that moment where you realize, okay, I've just got to ride this out. I did that with fucking cocaine a couple times. I did it with alcohol where uh, I got – like, a couple years ago, I got altitude sickness and alcohol poisoning. Um, and I fucking was so sick and hungover and – it was such a nightmare, and I realized there was just nothing I could do. I just had to ride it out. It was just two days of, like, literally can't sleep, like, hallucinating. It was fucking horrible. Well, because there, there are some people, and I don't, know if, I don't know if Dave's one of those people, but there are some people that just, they'll just see a pill on the ground. They'll go, I'll try that. And I need to, like, even if I'm taking Tylenol, like, I need to look at the pill, make sure it says Tylenol, right, make yeah. sure the bottle has not been tampered with, and I'll check it, like, five times. Yeah, totally. And they go, okay, it's okay to take this. I could, if someone just goes, hey, I'm going to sprinkle this random thing in a drink, I'll be like, I, fu- I mean, especially now, but even back then, I don't think I would have been able to handle that. Yeah, I mean, it's more of a testament to how, how much I trusted Dave. And, like, Dave doesn't do crystal meth, by the way. This was, like, a weird, so don't, like, get me wrong, like, Dave not, like, does not do meth. But this was just like a random thing where David was like, hey, I've got this. Like, should we just like try it? Like, I think he had done it once before, but and I just trusted David, <clears throat> but I never, ever do stuff like that. I, I, I mean, I rarely like I don't even smoke weed. So it's like, you know, I, I, I don't I know exactly what you're talking about. I would never give. I mean, I have friends that, yeah, if you hand them something, they'd be like, all right. I mean, the thing for me with drinking was that it at least it made me. <laughs> It was one of the ones that made you feel like you're in control. Like it almost makes you feel like you're too much in control. Or you're like, yeah. I'm fine, you know, because you just feel, you know. Was- Even when you're out of control, you're kind of in control in a weird way. Like when I get shit faced, which obviously I'm a notorious drinker. Like I'm big drink. I don't drink as much as I used to, but yeah, I always liked getting like royally fucked up because in my head I still like knew what was going on. I would never get to the point where I didn't know what was going on and i thought it was funny if i was naked or like <laughs> taking a shit on a house or something <laughs> i never thought i never when i would get drunk i would never i never felt like my brain was separated from my body like right. if i ever had any kind of ex- you know there's I, no existential weird like out or like you know you yeah i was never outside of my body drinking or looking down on my fucking child self or yeah there was no <laughs> There was none of that. You just you look in the mirror and you just see a wolf head. Like, <laughs> what's happening? I had one too many sea breezes. <laughs> I'm a, now I'm a wolf person. Why is my mom crying blood? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, no. That's all. Alcohol, you know what you're going to fucking get. But I think the last time, and I was still drinking at the time, but I think... You were a monster drinker. I remember that. You and Paul F. Tompkins. Like, those Largo days. Oh, boy. boy. We were all just... We would just get shit-faced. Yeah. Yeah, because it was so easy to... The show started a little bit late. It was like 9 o'clock on a Monday night. All right, well, I'm going to go out and have drinks and then go... And then you're at Largo, and it's just such a... It's Drinks such a were social, plentiful. Plentiful, and uh, yeah, I, re- I remember, I remember the, I remember just like having the weird thing of like, can I perform without drinking? And then I realized pretty quickly, oh yeah, it's great. I can actually think a million times clearer than, than yeah, before. totally. I mean, I yeah. felt like I, I, I just didn't know because I'd only done it that way before. But it was very comforting to realize, like, oh yeah, I'm actually better as, than I was, you know. So I killed that myth. Really, like, if I don't drink, I'm maybe I'm not an artist. Maybe I gotta. <laughs> I'm like, nah, that's that's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it is it is a logical thing, and it's funny how like, and you know this too. Like, it it is such a different skill set because I performed. Fucking hammered. You know, in short sets, of course. Like, I wouldn't do, like, an hour show. But, like, you know, if I have ten minutes of improv, I would get fucking annihilated. Right. And, you know, shows would go good. And But then when I'm sober, you know, it's a different... It is, like, a two different kind of mindsets. <laughs> I mean, obviously it is. But it's funny. Like, yeah, p- performing sobers, I would prefer that. You know what I mean? I like being alert and being in the moment and not, you know, being out of it for a step, you know? Yeah. But a lot of it's, I mean, you know, a lot of that stuff was all just, what I realized later was just like, oh, it's anxiety management just because I'm such an anxious, like, you know, my molecules vibrate. Right. And it was just such a numbing process of like, when I first started doing comedy, I used to, I was so scared. I would drink, you know, like three or four beers just before I would get on stage because I was so terrified. Yeah. And it was really nice to realize, like, oh, I didn't have to do that. Like, you can – it's okay to be scared. Like, that's not yeah. that's not a big deal. Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, good lord. Yeah, I mean, that's that, – that kind of anxiety is – when I was starting out is I – I mean, I always kind of just channeled that when I would get on stage and use that, like, fucking horrified energy. I used to, like, almost vomit before I would go on stage. Oh, really? Oh yeah, you always I mean, well, get so early, comfortable to me. On well, stage. I'm talking like when I was like 19. When oh, I gotcha. first started, just like that sheer terror. I mean, now I love it. I mean, now it's honestly, and it sounds kind of cliche, but like I really am the most comfortable. I think, you know, when I'm on stage, I just I love being on stage. It's to me, it's like just so comforting. It is. If it, you know, like my manager Alex and my wife both said the same thing to me separately, which was, "Oh, I you always seem happiest after you've done sets." I'm like, oh my god, you're right. I mean, you just, yeah, you, you the, because that, you know, that's that's when you sort of feel like, oh, I'm doing what my what I'm doing. Like, I do, I'm doing what I do. Like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Do you have this? I, I've experienced this even now. Like, when I do shows, if I have a show on the road that night, I don't really. My day is kind of off. Like, my brain is so, like, knowing I have a show completely alters my. My demeanor offers my, I mean, uh, my mindset is off. Like, I just, an, an hour before I go on, I'm a complete mental patient. And then you get on like stage weird. and everything's fine. Everything's fine when I'm on stage. But, like, you know, I just, my state of, my mind is so bizarre. It's like I re- get really, like, tired and kind of morose and really weird. I don't know if that happens to you. I, well, yeah, because I think, you know, when I would when I first started going on the road, I was like, oh, it's going to be great. I got all day. I can write all day. I can do it all day. And then you weirdly don't do – I don't really do anything. No. And I think part of it is I think your body is unconsciously 
subconsciously conserving energy yeah. for this like yeah, totally. massive blast of energy <laughs> that you have. Because sometimes I would have you know amazing shows that were so much fun, do two shows, maybe three shows in a night, and then afterwards just feel almost depressed, like just empty, like, what, yeah, what do I? I don't know, you know, just because it all you're scooping out all the energy. So I think sometimes that's your 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 body is preparing itself yeah. for the amount of uh-huh. energy that it has to. Yeah, for sure, because it it's the most have. unnatural thing. It is a very natural thing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, get up and listen to me. What I have to say is really important, everybody. Hi, thousands of people. <laughs> What's going on? Stuff's weird. Just want to make sure you know that. <laughs> Cats. Just so I feel okay. Oh, you... I, I can remember... Did you have a joke about... Oh, shit. It was like... Uh, oh, you're going to go at three. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you have a joke about... Uh, where it was something about a movie preview or like coming this summer and it was just wolf pussy. No. <laughs> I had a joke with the, with the punchline wolf pussy, but that was not the setup. <laughs> okay. So I had a joke about a dramatic movie trailer for like a World War II movie, like you know, you know, mother forced to raise her children, her father or her husband, you know, killed and blah blah, blah and you know, in a world and the, all they have is each other. And, and then I had a thing that was called Shit Factory, the movie, <laughs> and I would switch titles, and one of them was called Gay Boobs. <laughs> And then Wolf Pussy was another punchline. <laughs> if when I grow old, I'm going to return food at a restaurant. And when they're like, what's wrong with it? I'm going to be like, it tastes like Wolf Pussy. <laughs> and then the waiter's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think that was also in the same era of comedy where you said you were going gonna to leave a lot of money to like weird celebrities to show up to your Oh, uh, yeah, like, John Stamos. Did, and did, did you know, does that Mr. T? Yeah. <laughs> Nick and then I became friends with John Stamos, which was really cool. He was like the nicest, coolest guy. Yeah, he was like, heard you got a joke about me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, motherfucker. Now he might actually show up to your funeral if you die before. I know. Now it's not even a joke anymore. It's a real thing. Real life. Real life as expressed through jokes. <laughs> yeah. This really does take like well, pussy. I can't. This was just Swartzen. a joke. Swartzen. So Typical Rick, where, where can people see Typical Rick? Here's a fun story about Typical Rick. Um, me and Simon Rex, a.k.a. Dirt Nasty, play two guys who are buddies, best friends in Iowa. I moved to Hollywood to become the next Daniel Day-Lewis. He's kind of my tag-along friend, and then he ends up getting a lot more attention and befriending a lot everybody just because he's good-looking and clueless, and I work really hard. And So it's this kind of, you know, not Dumb and Dumber, but an odd couple meets Dumb and Dumber type of thing. And, um, yeah, it's streaming on Comedy Central – you can watch it on YouTube on Comedy Central, Comedy Central's page. Um, Nick Goosen, who directed Grandma's Boy, directs it. Um, this season, we've got cameos from Charlie Sheen, Chris D'Elia, Michael Rosenbaum, Nikki Glaser, Peter Dante, Theo Vaughn, like great people. And the show is just so you know is already canceled. <laughs> so Comedy Central. So when I was on at midnight, I was promoting a show that had already been canceled on a show that it was canceled. Yes. Yes. So I think that that's almost unprecedented to that's, be that's like, on a canceled show promoting a show that's canceled. That's like a cancelledception. Like yeah, that's just yeah. like so many layers. Canceledception. Well, I I, I I owe Simon Rex a huge apology because he showed up the day. That we it was like he was at the the last show. Yeah, he came to tape before everyone knew that the show was canceled. And it was after that show when everyone left that we told the crew, okay, we just found out. You know, it's only a couple. You know, we're only going to do a couple more more weeks. And so Simon was booked for the following week, and we so he came to see the show. Yeah, and I've known Simon since MTV days. Right. You know? 
And uh, but in the last handful of episodes, we decided that we that we were going to give everyone who had been on the show a lot a chance to kind of come back and say goodbye. Yeah, to the of show. course. So, and he understood that. Uh, so I, I so I felt really bad about that. He oh, ended up no. not being on, and I and I like I remember shaking hands with him in the back of my head, going, "Oh boy, <laughs> Are you sure you had to come to this one? I'm so sorry." I'm yeah, so no, sorry. it's fine. He to- he totally understood. Good, but you've always been amazing on the show, and you know oh, I had a blast. And man. you know personally, I adore you, so I will do anything for you ever. So oh, uh, thanks, man. Well, feeling it's mutual man uh, you're the best i'm excited for you and i'm excited that you're starting this new movie can you say what the movie is it's called the buddy games great and it's uh yeah it's it's gonna be super fun but i'm on camera so I, i'm i have a trainer now and i'm on a, I'm, i mean i eat really well anyway but i'm eating good and i have this trainer because i'm on screen with josh Demel and dax and you know <laughs> like i have like shirtless scenes and i was just like all right i don't want to look like a fucking pile of mayonnaise the fucking yeah, Josh Jamel just looks like he was carved out of marble yeah it's insane like even if he weren't famous he would just drop your groceries and be like whoa who's this put this put it here put this I don't know why I'm presenting but I get inside me but uh yeah no he's the best dude ever so it'll be fun excellent thank you Nick Swardson love you Chris and I love you too Jay Breed everybody now leaving nerdist.com Enjoy your burrito. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.